And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me on the phone line today is Pastor Doug Wilson. Good to be with you. Thanks for inviting me. Well, Doug, it's great to have you here. Our listeners may have read your books, but I do want to note that you are the pastor of Christ Church in Moscow, Idaho, and you're a founding board member of Logos School and uh, many other things. But um, today we want to talk about education, and I couldn't think of a better person to interview than than Doug Wilson. (laughs) Well, I'm glad for this opportunity. Thanks for the invite. Well, it's it's great to have you. the entire Christian school movement has been around for, for quite some time. Here in the Hudson Valley of New York State, we have a, a number of Christian schools, and uh, there's also a number of parents that have opted to homeschool their children. I'm just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about uh, Logo School that you run out there in Idaho. Um, yes, we've uh, Mos- Moscow, Idaho is a small town, about 20,000 people, and uh, we have a private Christian K through 12 school program, Logos School, and it is um, it was founded in 1980, 81 that that era, um, and we started the school because my oldest daughter, Becca, was just hitting was headed toward kindergarten, and uh, one day my wife said to me when she was a toddler, Doug, I I can't see just handing her over to someone that we don't know and saying here here she is, teach her about everything, and I didn't know anything about Christian education at the time, except that I agreed with that. Uh, I agreed with my wife. Mm-hmm. And so I said, um, don't worry, we'll have something started by the time Becca hits kindergarten, which was a couple of years away when she said that. And by the time her kindergarten year rolled around, we had uh, I met with some other people. We formed a, um, formed a sort of proto board and, uh, and started the school with 19 students first year. But we have 300, uh, 300 plus now students. So it, uh, it looks like the Lord has blessed it and the school has grown. And um, I don't know if people uh, realize that you've written a number of books. Some of them are on education and um, family, the church, and uh, the Reformed faith. Um, my wife and I have, have read some of your books, and um, sometimes we'll use an excerpt on little program we have here on Redeemer called The Covenant Home, and uh, we're thankful for uh, what you have written. Um, I'm kind of interested, before our first break, often I believe you're associated with what they call the the classical schools, and I'm wondering if you can help us uh, understand a little more what is meant by that, what's involved with a classical school. I'm sure. Um, basically, the schools that I'm involved with are, are classical and Christian schools. Uh, uh, we've started the Association of Classical and Christian Schools, ACCS, and so there are two descriptors there, classical and Christian. The, the first thing I would want to say to your listeners is, is make sure that whatever you're doing, it should be Christian first. Mm. Um, don't, don't let the best become the enemy of the good, basically. <laughs> um, I, I like... Um, I, 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 I'm sold on the classical pedagogy, uh, the classical method of education. I think it's wonderful. We've had great success with it. I'm a big fan and big advocate of it. But I would say it's far better to make sure that you have Christian education first mm-hmm. and then uh, develop it into, I think, a, a more rigorous Christian approach would be uh, 
classical method. And what we mean by that is basically it boils down to two things. Uh, when we say classical, we're talking about the educational method that was outlined by Dorothy Sayers in a, an address she gave in the 40s, the 1940s, where she said that children grow through three stages of child development. Uh, she called them the Paul Parrott stage, the Pert stage, and the poetic stage. And she said that these three stages matched up or lined up with the stages of the medieval trivium, grammar, dialectic, and rhetoric. And that if you put these things together, you find yourself teaching with the grain, teaching children um, certain things at the time they are most receptive to those things. You teach uh, grammar, the data, facts, lists, raw facts, uh, in the Paul Parrott stage when children like to chant and memorize. And when they become... Uh, when they become argumentative, why are you making me learn this? What, uh, when they become uh, a little, when they start disputing, you teach them how to argue. You teach them how to do that. That's the dialectic stage. And then when they become concerned with appearances, the poetic stage, you teach them rhetoric, the, the third stage, and the, and the way to present. So that's the pedagogical method. The other aspect of it has to do with um, the history of Western civilization. Um, so... The classical approach is, in many ways, a great books program, so that we are dealing with the sort of the uh, heritage of Western civilization, which has been overwhelmingly Christian. Mm. Can a, a parent, let's say they're not near um, a school that they are interested in sending their child to, can they um, use this classical approach in their homeschooling? Um, absolutely. I can mention a couple of programs that you could check out. The first would be um, Logos School here in Moscow has started a press, Logos Press, and if they go to Logos Press online, um, that you'll find a number of resources for homeschooling parents who want to provide this kind of education um, for their kids. Mm -hmm. LogosPressOnline.com is um, a program uh, that is inspired by, shaped by what Logos School is doing in the classroom, making it available for homeschoolers. There's another program um, for older, um, well, the Veritas Press in Lancaster, Pennsylvania has a, uh, a similar sort of thing where you can get materials for homeschooling in the classical method. Mm, okay, that's, that's very helpful. What we'll do is we'll take a short break. Today on the phone line with us is Pastor Doug Wilson of Moscow, Idaho. Uh, stay with us. We'll be right back after the break. We'll be right back with our program in just a minute. Now a reminder that your gifts to this ministry enable us to bring you thoughtful, Christ-centered programming 24 hours a day. Would you prayerfully consider helping us with a tax-deductible gift this month? 
Redeemer Broadcasting is a 501c3 not-for-profit broadcast ministry. We're entirely listener-supported and have no advertisements. If you would like to help support us this month, and perhaps in the future, our mailing address is Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Once again, Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Stay with us now for the second half of our program. And welcome back. You're tuned to A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with me today is Pastor Doug Wilson. We're talking about education. And, um, Doug, before the break, you were helping us understand a little bit about the classical part of the equation in terms of classical and Christian schools. Now, going back to Christian schools in general, um, what about a parent that is concerned for um like Fox News would say, a fair and balanced approach, and they're worried that, oh, I'm afraid that this Christian stuff is going to skew too much uh, reality. How do you handle that whole enchilada? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I would handle it by saying that education of children is the most religious thing we do outside of the worship of God Sunday morning. Hmm. Uh, It is, there's no such thing as neutrality. Uh, You you cannot go to a place where Jesus is the statement Jesus is Lord becomes irrelevant, mm. and that and that's one of the central complaints that I have about the government school system, which is the the pretense of objectivity, the pretense of neutrality. So when they're teaching history, or when they're teaching mathematics, or when they're teaching science, they're saying their official line is. We're not saying one way or the other whether your God exists. We're not saying anything about that. We're neutral. But they are saying something very, very loudly, and that is, if your God exists, he is irrelevant to what we are doing here. Mm. Okay? So uh, a teacher, a math teacher, could never mention the name of God, never attack Christians, never do anything like that. But what you've done what he successfully does over many years is inculcate the notion that God is irrelevant in a certain aspect of your life. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. And now some people will come back and say, well, surely 2 plus 2 equals 4, whether or not Jesus rose from the dead, whether or not Jesus is Lord. Well, not exactly. (laughs) 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 Um, And the reason you can't say that is, I'll, I'll take an obvious example, some people might consider me just being cute, but but if you're a pantheist, if you're a Hindu Hindu pantheist, how can two plus two equals four if all is one? That's a good point, right? Um, if if there is no such thing as distinctions, if all distinctions are Maya illusion, uh, 
then this is illusion, too. Or if postmodernism is true, and there's no such thing as truth, notice the contradiction of postmodernism is true, <laughs> and there's no such thing as truth, then how can we say that 2 plus 2 equals 4 is true? Right? Um, years ago, I was on a panel, an education panel, and there was a Canadian math teacher on the panel with me, and I was talking about the look-say method of teaching reading. And one time, I'll, I'll combine two stories, I told the story on that panel of the time we had interviewed a Christian young man to teach at Logos School, just graduated from the College of Education at nearby Washington State University. And I asked him as part of the interview question, what would you do if you showed a student the letters H-O-R-S-E, and he read it as pony. What would you do? And I asked that question because I wanted to tease out if this guy had been trained in the look-say method. And he said, well, I would, this candidate answered the question, well, I would praise him. Good job. Very, very well done. All right? He read horse as pony, and he get, got praised. Hmm. Well, I then said, it's just a matter of time, back on the panel here, it's just a matter of time before when the student is presented with 2 plus 2 equals, that the student is then asked, what would you like it to equal? Mm. What would make you feel good? Uh, if, if it were to equal this, what would, you make, <laughs> what would make you feel good? Um, and I was doing that as sort of a reductio ad absurdum. But the Canadian math teacher said, well, that's not a joke. They're doing that in my school. Wow. Okay, so, so truth matters. You, you can't, it makes a difference whether Moses or Jeroboam writes the history curriculum. Yes. Was it Yahweh that brought us out of Egypt, or was it this golden calf? Uh, there, there's no neutrality anywhere. Um, another one of my favorite examples is uh, the American War for Independence. When, um, when George Washington accepted Cornwallis's surrender at Yorktown, all of Washington's colonels, with one exception, were elders in Presbyterian churches. <laughs> uh, all, of, uh, all, all but one. The name, one of the names for the war in England was the Presbyterian Revolt. <laughs> um, Horace Walpole, on the floor of Parliament in England, said that Cousin America has run off with a Presbyterian parson. Mm. The Presbyterian ministers were called the Black Regiment because they preached the revolution in their black Geneva robes. Sure. There, there's a whole host of those things. And so, so 50%, 50% of the Continental Army were Presbyterians. And the rest of them were Congregationalists from New England sure. and uh, a handful of Baptists, and all of them sort of reformed. And, and so you say, how is it that I was taught, and, and the single biggest controversy before the war, more paper, ink, pamphlets was spent on this before the war, was whether the King George was going to appoint an Anglican archbishop over <laughs> all 13 colonies. That was the biggest controversy. And you were taught that the whole thing was about tea. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right? It makes it it makes a difference who's writing the history text. Yes, indeed it does. You've kind of already covered my next question and that is uh, the biblical reason for a Christian education and you got into that when you talked about not only the neutrality and the the impossibility of neutrality but the fact that Jesus is to be lord over all of life. Yes, that's the, fu that's the fundamental Christian confession, that Jesus is Lord, 
not of mm. a space in my head or some spot up in heaven, but he is the one in whom everything in heaven and on earth is united. And in, in him all things hold together, as it says in Colossians 1.18. Mm-hmm. And the other, the other thing that directly applies to education is Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, where it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, underneath that phrase, nurture and admonition, one of the words there is paideia. And paideia is not just the process of education. It's far more comprehensive than that. It's more thorough than that. Mm-hmm. So uh, paideia is to, in, in the enculturation of a student into a particular culture. Well, Paul says, fathers, bring up your children in the paideia of the Lord. Well, that means Christian culture, and that means Christian education for that Christian culture. Mm -hmm. And someone might say, well, we don't have a Christian culture. Well, I'd say, neither did the early Ephesians, but Paul still told them that. That's a good point, yeah. All right, so uh, Paul told them to, to educate their children up into a Christian culture that that form of education will help create. Now, um, a couple things come to my mind here, but let me just do one at a time. Um, you mentioned the church earlier, and I'm, I'm wondering, how do you see the role of, of worship in the church and how that intersects with education? How does it affect our education efforts? Well, I would say it's a, a potent effect. I think when when someone calls me and says, "Hey, we 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 live out here in Podunk, Iowa, or somewhere, and we want to start a Christian school," one of my first and can you help us? Mm-hmm. And I'm I've helped a lot of people do this. One of my first questions is uh, is this: Is the church situation healthy? Mm. Okay, and the reason I ask that is. If, I don't think you can really recover the standards that we're trying to recover in education unless that's occurring in the context of a worshiping community, either a church or a collection of churches, where the Word of God is proclaimed, God is worshipped rightly, and the people there understand discipline. <laughs> you know, they understand a number of things that they're not going to understand if you start doing it to their kid. Mm-hmm. So yes. so if you have a group of adult Christians who are all attending, a, a, you know, goo churches of various kinds, and you come in and you start to um, institute rigorous standards with their kindergartner, um, you're going to have trouble, you know, one trouble after another. Yeah, yeah. Now, here's another question I have, and this is kind of switching gears slightly. Um, Earlier, you mentioned about truth, and I've been kind of pondering that in my own personal life lately because of what seems to be happening um, in our society where um, truth, and you you really covered this, um, truth is denied. And it's almost like um, you have your truth, I have my truth, and um, I, I wonder what... What do you see as the perhaps the legal challenges that we may be facing in terms of um, even free speech here in America as we try to educate our children, as we try to do what's right? What I'm not asking you to be a prophet, <laughs> but uh, well, what, I, 
I, I, I, I get your question, and I think it's a potent, I think it's a very powerful question, because I said earlier there's no such thing as neutrality, mm. which, which means that the pretense of neutrality that we have in our so-called secular government is a sham. Right. And, and we, we're seeing more and more of this if you object, let's say if you're a wedding photographer who doesn't want to do a homosexual celebration, doesn't exactly. want to photograph. If you are um, a caterer or you don't want to do the wedding cake, you don't want to help them celebrate that. Well, there is no neutrality. Either um, either biblical standards are going to be imposed or their standards are going to be imposed. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's summed up in the phrase, not whether but which. <laughs> it's, not, it's not whether there's going to be an imposed morality. It's which morality is going to be imposed. Yes. Yeah. Okay, it's not whether there's going to be a theocracy, it's which God is going to be the God of that theocracy. Mm-hmm. Some people may object to that. Be, they've never really uh, kind of peeled the layers of the onion and really thought it through. But um, that's just the way it is. Uh, I, I appreciate you mentioning that. I'm just thinking about the parent out there that um, is perhaps discouraged. They are in inclined to say, this is just too hard. You know, that that Pastor Doug Wilson, he's a smart guy, but I'm kind of simple, and uh, I just feel like throwing up my hands. I don't have enough money. I live uh, many, many miles away from the nearest Christian school. Um, Any kind of encouragement uh, you might give that parent who really wants to do right for their son and daughter? Yeah, I would say several things. One is don't have too high a view of smart guys, because... Uh, it's smart guys who've caused most of the ruin. <laughs> you know, um, a lot of the, the our our schools and our culture, our society is a mess because of smart guys who would not acknowledge God. Mm. So that um, it, it's far far better to be a simple Christian mm. than uh, someone with a fifty pound head who's gotten above himself. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is um, the. Um, what God God takes us from where we are, not from where we should have been. Mm-hmm. Right. So yes. you, if you, whatever it is you can't do, God does not hold you accountable to do what you can't do. But that's, He that's does true. hold us accountable to do what we can. Right. And and one of the things that we can do is we can take this responsibility seriously. One of the things I tell the teachers that are. ACCS conventions is you know you're doing it right. You know you heard this message right if you feel simultaneously um, encouraged and overwhelmed. <laughs> well, I like your statement though that God doesn't hold you accountable to do what you can't do. Um, that has a, a certain freedom associated with it. I like that. Yes, He wants us to be faithful where we are, in our position, in our day, and. Uh, and as I go around the country looking at, at these remarkable schools that have been built out of bailing wire and bubble gum, and, you know, <laughs> you know you've got, uh, I tell people that a lot of times the formation of the school depends upon, you know, coffee, adrenaline, and the Holy Ghost. <laughs> the, the, first, the first three years are like, whoa. And I also tell people, oftentimes, God really honors the, that great two-word prayer which is Geronimo, amen. <laughs> now, um, 
something's coming to my mind, and that is a long-range perspective. Um, it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to say, well, you know, I'll do this for a couple years. But you realize, you know, raising a son or daughter is a long-range prospect. And um, any encouragement about how the Lord would have us view um, this world and, and his will for this world from a long-range perspective, it seems like that is a is a more healthy way of, of dealing with this whole thing. Uh, ab- that is absolutely the case. You know, when when all my kids are are grown in their 30s, bringing up their own kids now, and when my wife and I were in the deep weeds uh, with bringing them up, and you know, I used to tell my wife, "Let's look at the long, let's look at the long game." We're, mm-hmm. um, you know, these diapers won't last forever. These um, this chaos won't last forever, and we were looking that way. And I, I now look, I've got 16 grandchildren uh, who are receiving a Christian education. I see my kids walking faithfully. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, trade all, that head, all the headaches we had um, making this go for anything. Yes. Well, how encouraging it is. And unfortunately, we're out of time already for our interview today. And Doug, as um, one last thing, maybe you can share... Uh, with our listeners, where they can find more information about um, your school, resources, and that sort of thing online. Sure. Uh, LogosPressOnline.com. LogosPressOnline.com will have sort of uh, uh, materials uh, all the way through for you. Mm-hmm. And they, there are some online courses that Logos Press offers if, you can't, if you're not up to teaching them yourself. Uh, so that's that's the place to start, is Logos Press Online. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Today on the phone line with me has been Pastor Doug Wilson, and uh, he pastors Christ Church in Moscow, Idaho. He's a founding board member of Logos School and a senior fellow of theology at New St. Andrews College, and many more things he's done and also written many books, as well as his wife, Nancy. Uh, Doug, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. God bless. Thank you. Same to you. And for Redeemer Broadcasting, I'm Dan Elmendorf. A quick reminder to join us again next week at this same time for another edition of A Plain Answer.